You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Do you want to improve your game faster and hit your driver longer? The good news is ShotScope can help you achieve your goals. ShotScope has products for every golfer, such as GPS watches, laser rangefinders, and shot tracking devices designed to lower scores and improve your golf by over four shots on average. I use the Pro LX Plus rangefinder on the course to get my distances. What I love most about ShotScope is tracking my game and reviewing my stats. The great news is your personalized stats are completely free with no yearly subscription. If I can use it, anyone can. Jump over to shotscope.com today and find the perfect product for you. And remember to use my code page at checkout. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Playing Around podcast. We have your two favorite golf girls, Sam and Paige, and we have a PGA Championship recap. Everyone knows that the PGA Championship is the worst major in all of golf, but that turned around, Sam. I thought this was one of the best majors in a while because we had so many interesting storylines from a comeback with Brooks Kepka to Michael Block being everyone's new favorite player. Of course, we have a little bit of drama with Liv versus PGA Tour and so much more. So I think we should just get right on into it. There we go. Just starting off hot in the first 15 seconds. Why do you think that people dis... I don't... It's not that they dislike the PGA Championship, but when you compare it to, obviously, the Masters, which is iconic, has so much history, then you have the the Open and then the U.S. Open, it just falls flat compared to the big three. Well, I did a poll on Twitter because I was thinking the same thing. I was talking with some friends and I was like, if you could only win one major, the obvious answer is the Masters or the U.S. Open. Like I could kind of see some people having a toss up on that, I guess, because the U.S. Open is more accessible. So people probably think, oh, well, if I could win one, it would be that one. Right. But I don't know. The Open, this is going to I'm going to get canceled for this. The Open <laughs> has really not ever done anything for me. I don't like that style of golf on a regular basis. So, I mean, it's fine for one week a year, but I don't know what it is about the PGA. I hope, I really do hope that this was like a resurgence in the PGA championship brand. And I do think a lot of it has to do with Michael Block, who we'll talk about here in a second. What do you think? A hundred percent agree. I think what makes the PGA championship so special is that it's a combination of PGA touring professionals and PGA teaching professionals. And most people don't understand that because it is quite confusing. So the PGA of America is a completely separate organization than the PGA Tour. And PGA Tour players go through different sets of qualifications. You have to go through Q School to be able to get your card. You go through mini tours like the web.com. And to be a teaching professional, you have to go through the PGA of America's program. 
And most people don't understand the dynamic of how it's different. To start the week, I actually saw people saying that they need to change the format and have less PGA members a part of the tournament, which I think is a terrible take because of this reason, because you get an incredible storyline like Michael Block, which won't happen every single year. But when it does happen, that's what makes the PGA Championship so incredibly special to see someone's life change before your eyes. His life is completely different now. He's getting sponsor exemptions left and right. He truly was the storyline of this tournament. Do you think your take on that would have would be different if Michael Block made the cut and then shot 75-75? Yes and no. I think that he still had enough really great moments that it was special. You know, even just the clip of him being in awe of the fact that he's playing with Rory in the final round of a major. I mean, he couldn't believe it. And talking to other PGA professionals who have played in the PGA Championship and how special it is for for them. Tyler Hall, I, I've worked with him and known him for a very long time. He played a couple years ago, and he's a teaching professional. And he said it was one of the most amazing opportunities of his life. And I think that's what golf truly is about, is finding this common ground, this love of the game that we all have, and then seeing them together. It's something that is truly special, and it is worth it, even if it happens every 5, 10, 20 years. To get a story like this, it makes it all worth it in the end. I agree. I I just don't know if this is as important to the average golf fan as it is to us and to the media, right? Like, and that's what I think that the PGA has been lacking in in excitement or in like anybody caring about it in the past is because without these storylines, these major storylines, I mean, I'm sure there were other stories written about other PGA professionals that made the cut or that played well or had a good hole, but without this storyline, I just don't think that the fact that PGA professionals are playing, like really anybody cares about it besides us. You know, I, I go back and forth. I see what you're saying and I definitely would agree year after year, but to see the reaction on social media around Michael Block was something that was fascinating. It wasn't just golf fans. It was sports fans. Everyone roots for an underdog. They love these type of stories. And I was seeing people tweet about the PGA championship who have never even watched golf before because they were like, this guy, he's like me. This is something that's really cool and something that's really relatable in golf. Because I do think that there's a relatability that people struggle with when it comes to golf professionals. And even the conversations that we're having around golf, golf <laughs> live versus the pga tour for example oh should they be paid 150 million or 100 million i mean those are not problems that people deal with but to see someone like a michael block have this opportunity to compete against the best and show up and get it done that is something that's relatable and that can actually bring more people into the game and to see that it's like if he can do it maybe there's a path where i can do it as well yeah, I mean, I like that take. And trust me, I hope that this this Michael Block story, first of all, I hope he just goes out there and like wins a tour event. But I, I hope this this storyline will will help the PGA. And I think that it did a lot of good. Um, I think we need to talk about the fans. Yeah, you had a tweet talking about how annoying the fans were at the PGA Championship. And it was interesting because after you said that, I was trying to listen in a little bit more. I think it was because of where the microphones were placed. It almost felt like they were injecting fan noise into certain moments to make it seem more exciting than it really was. And so you just had these kind of weird moments of people talking when someone was putting and you're like, that's, that's not what's actually going on right now. And I think that is why it seemed a little bit off. I don't know what it was, but you know me, I get like annoyed if someone's sitting there like clicking their pen. So <laughs> maybe it was just like, I, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I felt like every single time someone hit a shot, there were 50 frat guys yelling something. And it was just like, this is so trashy. And maybe it's because we just came from, well, I guess it was a while ago, but the masters where people wouldn't, dream to do that. So I think maybe this was like, just like a warm up, and the rest of the majors are going to be like that. But I don't know. Some people were responding like, this is just New Yorkers. And I'm like, well, that tracks too. So I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was so obnoxious. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I, I do 
remember seeing a bunch of younger kids in the crowds compared to other events that are going on in golf. You know, the Masters is a really great example. The demographic is a bit older compared to the PGA Championship where I saw a bunch of teenagers. And it goes, it's a funny discussion because we always talk about growing the game of golf and we want to get new people into the game of golf. But then when those people don't act the way that you're expected to act within golf, then we're like, let's shrink the game of golf. And that's something I've been seeing people say now where it's like, golf has grown enough, let's shrink it. And that's not the attitude that we need to have if we truly deep down believe that we want golf to grow. And it would be more fun, I think, if you didn't have to be quiet at golf events. Those those annoying, obnoxious screams, they happen everywhere you go at every single sporting event, but it's drowned out by everyone else enjoying their day. And I wouldn't mind that. And I don't even know if the players would mind that. It's more annoying when it's so quiet and then all of a sudden someone screams something what if everyone is just being loud and having fun and enjoying the day (laughs) yeah I was gonna say the same thing because it feels like the constant noise is fine but it's like the one guy who's screaming at Rory as he's walking down the fairway that like you said the microphone was probably just placed in an inopportune location but like it just annoyed me and I mean, I don't know, maybe guys like Brooks and Phil, they're used to it now from live and they're like used to hearing the music blaring and they just don't care. But I don't know. I, I thought um, I do think the microphone had a lot to do with it. I heard at times there were like two microphones going on. You could kind of hear like the audio was getting mixed up. So I don't know. Um, I just I'm not in the Baba Booey gang personally or the <laughs> mashed potato gang. I'm just I'm not there. So I don't know. But I will say um, the final group played in 405. Thoughts on that? How golf should be played. We saw this at Augusta where Victor was paired up with Patrick Cantlay and was going ahead and hitting shots out of turn because he was so frustrated by what was going on. And Brooks was playing behind Patrick Cantlay. And so they were being held up. And you can see when two players get together and they just play golf again the way that it should be played it flows and it's fine and i don't know if the pga had rules officials with every group making sure that the pace of play was done uh properly but it was great to see there was no waiting around and brooks and victor played well and i think it's because they didn't have the distractions of slow players in front of them. I said this during the Masters, and I've said this for other events, and I'll say it again. Slow play is a form of cheating, and it should not be tolerated in golf. Point blank. End of discussion. And to see that these guys can play well in four hours and five minutes shows that it's possible. Even when they're playing for a major championship, you can play quickly. And they're not playing quickly. They're just playing proper pace. I saw several times on TV, this was a rare day yesterday where I feel like I watched the entire coverage on TV, which I thought was great. I I felt very interested, which felt really good. But there were several times where like, I didn't think the cameras could get to Brooks enough from being at Victor's (laughs) shot. Like when Victor plugged it in that bunker and had to take a drop and right when he hit, they cut to Brooks and he was already in his backswing. And I was like, these two guys are like the fastest guys on the course. You put them together. And then I saw the tweet about them playing in 405. I was like, this makes sense. And I think that there's something to be said for that. And and I mean, this goes for amateur golfers too, right? Like golf is such a long sport that you have so much time to think about stuff. If you lessen that time to get in your head, it probably will help you more than trying to take in every single thing you can take into account and then let it overwhelm you. 100%. And I think that really helped Brooks because you're playing with so much pressure and expectations and every shot counts that sometimes you get in your own way when you're forced to slow down and think about it instead of just getting up there, letting your body do what it does best and hit the shot. And it was interesting because the night before, Amanda asked him, what did you learn from playing in Augusta? And he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything. And I wonder if that was it, just, you know, staying in your own rhythm, um, playing quickly and trusting yourself, playing to win is what he said later on. And I, I agree with that. It's playing aggressive in every single way from pace of play into how you're executing the shots is just always keeping the foot on the pedal. I mean, I think that was, he remember when he said, like, I got my swagger back a few years ago, I feel like he's got it back again now. Um, And 
he only had seven pars all day, which is incredible because I feel like it was very up and down. And my parents always preached to me like, boring golf is good golf. Like just make pars. Like you don't have to make six birdies and then six bogeys. And I thought that that was, um, that was really interesting and in how his round seemed a lot more up and down on the scorecard than it seemed like when we were watching him because he always kept a consistent lead. But yeah, I, it was really fun to watch. So Brooks wins his fifth major, which is very impressive. Why do you think people still don't give him the credit and respect that he deserves? Number one, I think it's because it's been a while. Yeah. I think he went a couple years without a major. He got injured. He had a slump where he was talking about, I don't know if I'm ever going to win again. I don't like, like on the Netflix documentary, we were all like, whoa, like this is this is crazy, really showing his home life, thinking, you know, showing his lows, which I now have come to appreciate. But I think that that's it, is that he went through such a hot stretch where people thought he was like the next coming of God and then a little bit of a lull. And now I think he's, he's trending again. It's really impressive to see. And I think the live format really does help him achieve his goals. He has always been very transparent about only wanting to win majors. And now he doesn't have to fly all the way and play the next PGA tour event. He can go back and reset and get ready for the next major. And I think a lot of players are going to be kind of looking over <laughs> like, well, you know, it's, it's working because these guys are showing up when it matters and the doubt of, are they going to be rusty? Can they still compete? It's not there anymore. It's going to be interesting to see how this is going to affect Live versus PGA Tour moving forward. Well, if we want to get into that, I have a hot take. Let's get into it. Yeah, that was my segue. <laughs> so I was talking to my friend TJ about this and shout out because I've literally never heard anybody think about it this way. And I've been thinking about it all morning. Like this is this is crazy to think about it this way. So he makes this point and I completely agree. I think that live golfers winning like they did yesterday and or contending like Bryson was in the mix there for a while too. I think that they are going to miss this energy and they're going to miss the PGA tour and miss the competition and miss the big fields and the big crowds. And I think it will do more to accelerate the downfall of live than we're giving it credit for. Because all it takes is one person to doubt their move, right? Yeah. What do you think? That's interesting. I can definitely see that thought process, but I view it differently. I think that there were so many doubters towards the live players and it being an exhibition tour. It's not anymore. When you're looking at how they're contending in the majors, you have a recent major winner going to these live events and playing. I think it's now legitimizing the live tour and more people are going to want to show up to these events. And that's all you need to create this energy is you need fans there. And we saw that at the event in Australia, which was absolutely electric. And so I could see it going both ways. I could see these guys getting re-energized and missing what the PGA tour has to offer, but they're getting that in the majors. So why would they want to do it week in and week out when they can do it when it really counts? And then on live, it's like, they're still having these really fun events. I mean, they call it golf, but louder. So it really could go both ways. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what does happen, but I would love to see them combine. And I was thinking about this, where you could have the PGA Tour continue to be the PGA Tour, but you could utilize Live as a global tour. And it's really hard for a lot of these players to go to all of these different places around the world. It's really draining, but you have the handful of players on Live who are contractually obligated to do that and let them do that. And you're just growing the game of golf. They just need to work together to make this happen. It's going to be a massive miss if you don't have Brooks on the Ryder Cup team. Massive miss. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I think it's great right now that these players are able to play in the majors. But how long is that going to last if we don't fix the fucking world ranking? Yeah. Like how long are they? And that's that that's the piece that's like, we don't know, right? Because it's great. And it was cool yesterday. But like, Brooks was what 44th or 45th in the world? Like how, 
how much more is he going to slip by not paying, playing PGA tour events to where then he's not going to qualify for these events. Obviously winning helps, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that that's something that we're talking a lot about and I don't know how much is actually being fixed. Well, they do have a couple different new world rankings that uh, LA Golf was actually involved with with Sports Illustrated, and they created the list that they think that should be um, acceptable now with Liv and how they're calculating those points. They're just going to have to play nice. We're at this point now where it's not going away, and they're contending and they're winning. So what are you going to do? And I think at the end of the day, to make golf – as great as it can be, there has to be some synergy between both of them. And they just have to kiss and make up and let's move on with it. I agree. And I think that what I think is interesting is watching the PGA championship and watching any major like the masters and the PGA. I don't think anybody cares as much about live versus versus PGA tour as golf media. No, (laughs) you don't like, I think it works. We're so in a Twitter golf hole that like I'll watch these tournaments and people will be cheering on like Brooks and Bryson and Phil. And I'm like, no one gives a fuck about this besides us. No, like, no and one I gives think, a shit. <laughs> I think we're just blowing it out of proportion really. But my point being is that you have to think that Jay Monahan was watching yesterday and going, all right, let's, let's like, we got to get these boys back together. And I don't know if like four times a year is going to scratch the itch that, that he wants. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But I think, I wanted a live player to win. We both did. And I think that, I think it was awesome to see. Cause we're toxic and we love a little bit of drama in our lives. <laughs> we love seeing Bryson hug Brooks on 18. I know. I mean, what was that about? They, they're like the best of friends now. I mean, golf just uh, reuniting the worst of enemies into uh, besties. A different kind of blood brothers. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, I got it. I got that one. Um, speaking of, this is the worst transition of all time, but I don't know how to transition out of that. But speaking of crowds and people rooting on other players, it was interesting to see the reaction on 18 for Michael Block compared to Brooks Kepka when Michael made that putt on 18 to secure his par and ultimately a top 15 finish to come back to the PGA Championship next year, it was absolutely electric. The crowd went wild. Everyone stood up. Everyone was clapping. And then when Brooks came around, I don't know if you noticed this, it was not, the cheer was just not there. Like, (laughs) I was like looking around and I'm like, this is kind of awkward. So I think it's tough I noticed this, but I think I have at least like a half percent reason why. And I think it's because when you like tap in to win a tournament, it's just like not as exciting. So like, so I think he barely missed that putt. And then everybody's like, oh, and then he taps it and they're like, okay, yay. So I think, (laughs) I think that that was part of it. Like if he would have made that putt, I think it would have been a lot bigger reaction. Yeah, I did too. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? 
especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. It's time to get your swagger back with PointsBet Sportsbook. New customers download the PointsBet app today and sign up in any of PointsBet's live states with code PAGE to get five-second chance bets up to $500. That's five straight days of second chances where PointsBet will match your losing wager and bet credits. Again, that's promo code PAGE and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before. PointsBet your move. Call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. I think the shot of the week was Michael Block's chip because I think the putt was great and I think he really had the balls to make that. He hits that chip like two inches either way from where he hit it and he was going to be 50 feet away from the hole. I know I'm sure everyone is expecting us to say the shot of the week was that hole in one, which was so incredibly cool and impressive. And even he was like, did it go in? (laughs) I don't don't know what's going on right now. But the short game shots that we saw on Sunday were so incredibly impressive. That shot on 18, I don't think people realize how thick that rough is, how fast those greens are. It's uphill to a short side pin. He hit that perfectly absolutely perfectly under that amount of pressure with all of those people around the lie that he had was so impressive and another shot of the week which i don't think people are going to give him enough credit for was brooks kepka when he hit it in that bunker and it was plugged that shot dead such a difficult shot and the fact that he got not only got it out but then hit it to about 10 feet i can't express how impressive that truly was when he hit it there i'm sitting there watching with my boyfriend and he's like well what does he do now and i'm like probably just go left like take the angle you do have and just chop it out to where it goes straight up straight down and then just take your two putt and and basically save your ass and he hits it and i went to the bathroom and i came back and i was like did he already putt did he leave it like 10 feet away and he was like no that was his chip and i was like what how did he get that there i think yeah you were right about the short game shots those bunkers looked Oh, I want to hit a sand shot out of those bunkers so bad. They looked so nice. That fluffy sand, but those lips were absolutely brutal. And that got Victor Hovland in trouble. You know, it's it's hard. I think Hovland is such a great young player, great personality. I always root for him, but I said I was going to fade him this week as well as Rory because they just never quite get it done. And it seems like during the final rounds that Hovland just slowly disappears and everyone else is just making those putts and getting it done. And he just is moving down the leaderboard. And I was really impressed with his play on Sunday he had a really bad break by driving it into the bunker and then he hit it straight into uh, the lip which embedded he ended up making a double bogey and that was just a that was a bad break you know it, it wasn't that truly bad of a shot it wasn't great but it was more of a bad break but he made some really pressure packed putts I don't feel like he lost it I feel like Brooks won it and I think he's going to take a lot of success from this final round on Sunday, the PGA championship moving forward. And I see him doing really well in the majors. Yeah, I think, I mean, I hope he learns a lot from this because I don't feel like he's been in the final group a lot on a major, especially too. So, I mean, he's young, like he might not have that experience of playing with that huge crowd. And especially with the Michael Block, the whole fandom going on. I think it was like loud and distracting, but I mean, you were right, right? You didn't pick Victor because he, you didn't think he could get it done and he didn't. So, I mean, you could look at it both ways. (laughs) I I love that. You always just tell me I'm right. (laughs) And you're like, well, he didn't win. (laughs) So your pick is still right. (laughs) I mean, it was, you did, you said he's not going to get it done. What did he do? Didn't get done. There you go. 
Speaking of not getting it done, we had some notable finishes. We had Spieth at plus five, Rom at plus seven, Homa at plus nine, DJ at plus nine, Phil at plus 10, JT at plus 12, and Rory just not winning. <laughs> just not winning another major. He played so bad. I didn't even include him in the notable finishes on the rundown. <laughs> he finished like even or one under. Um, but I think we just have such <laughs> high expectations for Rory and for these players that, you know, it is a bit disappointing that they're just not competing week in and week out in the way that we expect them to for the amount of talent that they have. Out of all of those big names, who was one that really surprised you? Surprised me was Rom. Impressed yeah. by was Phil. Like on 18 on Sunday, he's tipping his cap, thumbs up, smiles everywhere. He doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) And I think that is hilarious. Like, I think it is so funny how he'll go out and just like dunk it around in a major and win 50 grand and be like, yeah, great weekend, guys. (laughs) Like, what? I'm slowly re-becoming a Phil fan. And I have all my beef with him. But the picture of Phil talking to Colin Morikawa at the start of the week is one of my most favorite pictures of all time. We'll have to throw that up on the Playing Around podcast and do a caption this because it is just too good. And you are seeing Phil who went through a bit of a slump through, you know, his quote unquote cancelization and, you know, things that he said and, you know, everyone just, you know, shitting on him constantly to playing well at the masters and making a cut at the PGA championship. And he is getting his mojo back. He is becoming the fill of old and uh, he's just, he's loving life right now. I think that there's a trend on who the public generally likes, right? And I was thinking about this when I saw Phil react like that on 18. And I was like, man, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, that's kind of epic. And then I'm like, well, who else is everyone like? Okay, Brooks also doesn't care. Joel Damon also doesn't care. Like, I think that that's kind of the persona that people like to root for because they can identify with it. Like, it's just it just seems like a bro who, like, got put in the field at the last minute and is just happy to be here. And I think that it's hilarious. I agree with that. I full on agree with that. And I think people are just craving honesty and authenticity. And I think that again, that's why people relate so much and was rooting for Michael Block to do well, because he was just acting the way that we, what we would act if we were put in that situation. He's not primmed and polished and saying the perfect things all the time. And that's what you want. And I think, again, I'm going to go way off topic, but that's what was missing from Full Swing and the Netflix doc was you didn't have enough of that gritty honesty. And I appreciate that in a player like Brooks. And he was one of the few guys, maybe the only one in Full Swing to show some vulnerability. But we need more of that in golf. And we need players like Max Homa and Brooks and Phil and these guys and Michael Block just to be normal people and not these like walking robots being like, I'm hitting one shot at a time. Like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I want to hear about like how you're actually feeling. And I think that that goes beyond the golf course, which I think is what we want to see the most, right? Like when Phil responds to like random bots on Twitter, like talking shit about him, it makes me laugh so hard. Like he, One just, of us. <laughs> he just sits on Twitter and reads the comments like you. I'll be like, what are you doing? Reading comments. Okay, great. Put the phone down. Like <laughs> I think he, he literally is one of us. And I think it's so relatable and great. Speaking of one of us, that was an awful transition because this is not one of us. We need to talk about the wags of the week, which is not a segment, but maybe it should be. It should be a segment. So everyone is wondering why Jenna Sims was not at the PGA Championship to greet Brooks after he won. One of my favorite moments, I like to see what the the wives or girlfriends, the wags are wearing and uh, the connection that they have. Jenna was in Miami because she is one of the finalists for the Sports Illustrated Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Competition. And she was there doing something that made her feel fulfilled and progressing her career. And we don't talk about that enough with Jenna Sims, is that she is so motivated. She works extremely hard. She has her own life, her own goals, her own aspirations. She's doing this while pregnant. And I think that is really fucking cool. Really cool. I, I, she's definitely one of the 
visibly hardest working wives and girlfriends on the tour out there. I mean, she's got a shoe brand. She's got a swimsuit line. She's having a child. She's taking care of Brooks. She's, you know, like taking care of the house, the dog Cove, by the way, dog of the week for sure. Um, <laughs> but I think it it's just so I saw this at the beginning of the week. She said, it's a major week for both of us on her Instagram story when people were asking, you know, where she was. And a note that I want, I want to nod Brooks for this because a reporter asked Brooks at the end, you know, this little press conference in the media center, like, have you talked to Greg Norman yet? Which this, I don't even know who it was, but this guy was just like looking for shit, like looking for a headline, right? Which is annoying. And he said, you know, no, I mean, I, I FaceTime my wife. She's pretty much the only person I want to talk to right now. Like, I mean, my boys are here, but I really just wanted to talk to Jenna. And she recorded that and put it on her story and was like, I'm crying right now. And I was like, I'm crying right now. Like, you that you see Brooks is such a hard ass. And like we said, doesn't care about anything. But at the end of the day, like, she's who he goes home to. And I think it's so awesome that he would say that and really like, show the world that his relationship is that important to him. That might've been my favorite moment. I agree. And it shows the type of person that he is too, that he's not demanding that Jenna stay home and <laughs> dote on him and make her give up her life and her aspirations to just follow him around to make his life easier. Cause she could, I mean, they make enough, like he makes into plenty money. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't have to work at all a day in her life. And the fact that he supports her shows, I think, why their relationship will be really successful for a long time. And that's that's goals right there. You know, you want a partner that will support you in what you want to do and vice versa. I think sometimes it gets so stuck into like you need to help me or people being selfish. But if you're not both fully fulfilled in your own personal life, then you'll never be a great partner to the other partner. So uh, let's let's learn something. Claps all around for for Jenna and Brooks here. But so that was your favorite moment of the week. I was going to ask you what was your most favorite moment before we move on to TNA. I would say that, but my favorite text from you of the weekend. Shall I pull it up? Please hold. You sh you shall pull it up because I wrote it in the rundown, but I really want to get it a hundred percent right. I said. OMG block. And that was right when he made the putt on 18. And you said, I'm so happy for him. I said, he is so wholesome. He said, he said, didn't kiss his wife on camera, though. That would be a fight later. If <laughs> I mean, proof. I'm just saying, if I'm on camera and I'm going up to my man and I'm like going in for a hug and I'm putting my head up going for a kiss and he they just deny me a kiss in front of all of these people on camera, I would be bringing that up later. Not only just later that day, but every single day for the rest of our lives until we die. We'll be like laying next to each other on our deathbed. Be like, remember that moment you didn't kiss me on camera? <laughs> like That would be the last thing I would ever say. That was hilarious. And I do, hopefully he gets his other moments at the, the Charles Schwab next week and then the Canadian Open. Hopefully she gets her chance again. I'm rooting for her. Um, I was going to ask about that though, because he is getting all of these sponsor invites and sometimes people become a teaching professional because they don't like playing professionally. And I wonder what his reason is. Maybe it was he wanted to and financially couldn't do it. Or, you know, there are so many reasons why people don't make it. But what if he's like me and he just hates competing and like hates golf? Now he's getting all these sponsor invites. He's just like, fuck. Like, like, no, uh, I gotta I play. <laughs> like what am yeah. I going to do now? Like I would be, if I went out and just had like the week of my life and they're like, hey, now you're going to play full time. I would... I would be beside myself. <laughs> be like, can I go get drunk first and like celebrate this? And then like, I'll see. I don't know. I think it's interesting because I think he's played in like six or seven or something majors before US Opens or whatever. And I remember what he said when he was talking to, um, it was either Amanda or Kira after the round. And they said, you know, it would take over 2000 lessons at home to make what you made today, charging your rate of $125 an hour, which first of all is insane. And he made $288,330. Um, and he said, you know, wow, like I, I never looked it up. I didn't, I didn't know that um, this was really just for fun. And I, he was like, you know, the money's cool, but like this was just for fun for me and my family. So, I mean, shit, I'll take a $288,000 check for fun. Yeah, yes, please. I would say that my shot of the week or my favorite moment of the week and uh, would be that ace that he made. 
I, I mean, that was such a cool moment. Um, to see everyone talking about it on social media, the way that Rory reacted, the way that the fans reacted. Um, it was truly special. And it just shows you that when you have confidence in your equipment that you can stand up to the pressure and pull those shots off. So make sure you head over to Club Champion to get fit for your clubs before all of your summer golf tournaments. And don't forget to use my code PAGE because there is nothing that is better than looking down and knowing that you have confidence in your club. So head over to Club Champion today. And Sam, let's get into some TNA. All right, let's do it. Um, I just am taking these from the podcast account today. A lot of them are um, related to the PGA, um, but we'll just start at the very front. Jonathan says, who will win the upcoming U.S. Open? Obviously, the next major at LACC. Um, What do you think? You know, I think that Max Homa is going to be one of the favorites going into that week from L.A., played there before. Uh, He plays well. In, I mean, he won Riviera. He plays well in California. He's a guy that you definitely want to look out for, but that's a ton of pressure. That is so much pressure. And he does seem to struggle in majors, which is so surprising to me because his game is so solid that I feel like he is a type of player that would really rise to the occasion in major play. I I don't know. It's going to be a real interesting one, but we know the lift players will show up. That's for damn sure. I'm going to say Brooks if I had to pick right now. I mean, his form just looked, he looked so unflappable. Like he was just, he made a bogey, didn't care, made a birdie next hole. Like I think that that's, um, it's going to be interesting to watch. Johnny says, these are all over the place, clearly. What has been your favorite concert that you've both been to? I went to a Spice Girls concert when (laughs) I was like six and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. A Spice Girls concert. You remember it that vividly? Yeah, I love the Spice Girls. My first day of school, I wore a spaghetti strap tank top, first day ever, and it said Girl Power, and it was a Spice Girls shirt, and I wore it with like these flowered spandex shorts and these bright orange clogs, so clearly nothing has really changed for me, but I was the biggest Spice Girls fan. I'm going to have to ask your mom if she has a photo of that. Oh, we have Um, it. You do. I'm sure you do. I Speaking of concerts when we were young, the first concert I remember was Britney Spears when I was seven. My dad's car got towed. So then we had to like do this whole thing. I'm like seven years old freaking out because it's raining. We don't have a car. I'd say my favorite concert was recently I went and see I went and saw Luke Combs when we were in Phoenix for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Super small venue. I think it was really just a cool like opportunity where it was not in the stadium, not a huge um, crowd. I think that was probably my favorite recently. Um, how is your prep going for the match with John Daly? It's actually going really good. I am. Um, Don't question yourself. We're no, not shocked. I, Only you. <laughs> I am a massive head case when it comes to competing. I have like severe PTSD from my competitive days. And so anytime there's anything competitive coming up, I am just unbearable to be around because I just am high on anxiety. And I feel like going into this match, I think it's because it is supposed to be, you know, more fun and it is John Daly. It's going to be more relaxed, but I feel really good. I took a lesson with Jonathan Yarbo the other day and he completely transformed my swing. And I was talking to him because I've always struggled uh, with ball striking under pressure. I've, I've had a, always a very athletic swing and my swing isn't bad by any means, but he made these changes that will really help me under pressure. And, you know, we worked on how to move my elbow, which was something that no one has ever mentioned before on the takeaway. And it was truly like life changing because I was having these epiphanies of if I had this knowledge when I was playing, maybe I wouldn't have hated competing so much, you know, and and we were really sitting down and just kind of getting to the core root of where my issues with golf and competing stemmed from. And it was a lack of confidence with my ball striking and standing on the tee and not knowing where it's going to go and scrambling. And that causes so much anxiety when you are on the tee and you don't know if it's going left and you don't know if it's going right you're in the crap and you have to scramble. I mean, I was hitting five, six greens per round, per round in competitive play every single time. That's exhausting. It's exhausting to do. And he just made some really subtle changes that 
made a massive difference. And so I'm feeling really good. I'm going to see him again. And uh, people have been kind of following along on social media. And I'm trying to document as much as possible through shot scope data that I've been using. And I've just been using different tools that are available to me now. And I don't have as much time to practice as I did before. And I realized that it's quality over quantity and practicing right and having, you know, a great pro and having um, really great data and, you know, just using everything that I can to my advantage, it takes the pressure away. That's, I can't wait to see you hit it in person because those videos, I was like, holy shit, that doesn't even look like the same person, but it also looked like easy. Sometimes swing changes look like, oh my God, that person looks so uncomfortable, but it yeah. just looked like any other day. It just looked completely comfortable. He uses science to help you swing. And we were looking at the way that I, I shift my weight and the way that I would take things back. And it, I just wasn't using my strengths and my ability to uh, my advantage. And so they were such small changes, but it completely transformed my entire swing. And, and that was kind of the like shocking part too, because it didn't feel like he was doing that much, but the swing at first and the swing second were night and day different. And so it just shows you if you make one little change in either like a grip or the way you take it back, it changes every single part of your swing. It's a chain reaction. And even if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, let me go find a new swing thought, stick with it for the whole round, please. I beg of yeah. you. Like if my dad tells me he has more like seven swing thoughts again, I'm going to beat him up. Just kidding, oh my gosh. But like, he'll, he'll call me and be like, well, I tried six swing thoughts. Like none of them worked. I'm like, well, yeah, like <laughs> that'll do it. And stick to the process too. I am now coaching my my boyfriend because he wants to get better at golf. And we were on the range yesterday, and we're working on one small change. And you want to make sure we get that down and out of out of nowhere. He was like, "Well, what if I do my elbow like this at the top?" And I'm like, "No, what are you doing? <laughs> no one has mentioned that in the history of ever. Like, no, we are not working on that." And it's like you get these ideas in your head, and it's like push them out. We're not working on that. <laughs> yeah. And it goes to show, especially with you and your swing change, just in one lesson is how much one little thing can give you confidence. So if you find something that gives you confidence, just because it doesn't work on every single shot, doesn't mean it doesn't work, right? Like yeah. my, my key has always been to like turn my shoulders because I get very armsy and I'll like abandon it halfway through rounds. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not playing well. And it's like, you stupid ass. Like you're 29 years old. It's been working for how many years? And now you're going to abandon it because of one swing when you play Let's once a year. Let's try this. Let's like, do like, this. No. Seriously. Okay. Um, Michael says, kind of on the same note, is since match play is your favorite, do you feel more confident against daily because of that? Yeah, I think so. Again, with stroke play, my issue is always the pressure of hitting every shot, in my mind, perfect. You know, you can't mm -hmm. mess up because you can make a double or a triple and then you have to, you know, make three birdies to get it back to even par and you can even see how I think about it. I, I could just spin out of control. But with match play, it's like you hit one way out and you're like, eh, maybe I can, you know, have a comeback. And, and because I'm such an erratic player, that really frustrates people in match play because you think I'm always out of the hole because I literally am out of the hole and you can't find me. I'm like in the shit somewhere and all of a sudden I'll hit the shot out and I'll make par and you just get defeated over and over and over again. And with stroke play, you're like, they're going to lose it at some point. I don't even care. But with match play, you're like, I can't catch a break because they keep coming back. And so that was also one of my strengths that I was such a bad player and like ball striker that it like worked to my advantage with match play because I would just, you know, wear people down with just these pars that I could make. And even if you don't, though, that's the beauty of match play. Like, so what? You eject it twice on one hole. Like, you're only one down. Like, yeah. that's what I think is so great about match play. You're like, shit, if I had a stroke play, I'd have had an eight. And they had a four. And now I'm four down. Well, in match play, you're only one down. So yeah, that was always fun. Um, someone said, is Brooks top three in the world right now? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. 100%. Um, we talked about a lot of this. So I hope um, you guys listened to the rest of the podcast. Um yeah, that's pretty much it. Someone asked if we thought Victor Hovland got lucky or if he's heating up with his finish. He's had great finishes in majors. It's not an issue of his play in major championships. He's a really great player. The doubt around him is can he get it done when it matters? And I know we were joking about in that in the beginning of the episode, like he had a great finish, but he still didn't win. 
and it really does not matter unless you win. And so I think he's getting close and he's building confidence with every great finish that he's having. And like I said, I don't think he lost this tournament. I think that Brooks won it and he's a player that you need to look out for, but he definitely is trending in the right direction with him. I think it's just a uh, gaining confidence and knowing that he can do it when it counts. I think Brooks, the tournament after, in this case, it would be the tournament after, not the week after, but since his fall fault at the masters, him, the next event is like the scariest player on, yeah. on property. <laughs> and like, we should have seen it coming. I mean, I said, I thought Brooks was going to play well and win, but not for that reason necessarily. I just thought, you know, he was like kind of feeling himself, but we forget that he had that collapse at the masters. And then he comes back and he's like, fuck you guys. Like now I have to prove myself. Well, and also I think this shows again, the mental toughness of Victor Hovland because they didn't look at each other. They didn't talk. Yeah. And Brooks is a very intimidating player. And so for him to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Brooks, again, I think is going to give him a lot of confidence and a player to watch for the U.S. Open. I could see them being another final round group on Sunday. I love it. What a pot. That's, there you we, go. <laughs> we really jumped all over the place here. So sorry for our lack of chronologicalness. Chronologicalness? <laughs> I, that's, that's the word and we're sticking to it. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. Don't forget to follow us on the playing around Instagram account. Leave us some nice reviews and messages. Leave us five stars and we will catch you here again soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> follow playing around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Win money betting on golf this year. Betting on golf is fun, but picking winners isn't easy. BetSports Golf has the data, tools, and experts to turn your Sundays into paydays. Members get in-depth articles, research tools, and our team's picks each and every week. If you had bet $100 on every wager the BetSports Golf team had recommended last year, you'd be up nearly $10,000. For a limited time, you can head to BetSportsGolf.com to get a special price on a year-long subscription. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.